Beast OCR proudly presents BeastNet Podcast, sponsored in part by GH Under's Performance Base Layers and supported by the OCR community. Here we discuss all things OCR related. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, it's Mike here with BeastNet. I've got Taylor Overmiller with me and we're going to just talk about stuff. So how are you doing, Taylor? Hey, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing good. So you're over, where are you at? You're not even in Washington or Oregon. Uh, I'm in Oregon, yeah. Oh, you are? I'm originally from Nebraska, but lived in Oregon for about the past five years in Portland with my wife, Tasha. Nice. I don't think I've met your wife before, but I've met you a couple times. And then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've introduced you. Yeah. Um, so, tell us a little about yourself. I know, you know, like you said, you're from Nebraska. You've got your wife over there in Oregon. Tell us a little more about yourself, kind of your, your background. Sure. Um, so, you probably want, like, the off-the-course race-relevant answers, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I grew up in Nebraska, south central part of the state, a town called Hastings. Um, mm-hmm. Birthplace of Kool Aid, what was? <laughs> and um, I did honestly like every single activity, even outside of sports, um, through middle school. And my end goal, I don't know how I made such a mature decision as like a junior high kid, but at that time I'd already decided that I was going to end up focusing on one thing and be really good at it. Um, I come from a, a football family. My dad and my younger brother um, played college quarterback, so I thought it would always end up being a football thing that I ended up focusing on. But yeah. um, as I kind of really whittled down my activities to what I was best at and what I enjoyed the most, um, by the time I was about halfway through high school, I was strictly running. So uh, yeah. cross country in the fall and track and field in the spring, um, focusing most specifically on – 800 meter distance which is two laps on the track um but i raced a lot more distance than that uh was able to end up qualifying for state cross country and then state track for a couple years and my senior year um earned a state medal in 800 and broke the two minute barrier which is like a pretty good benchmark for high school runners um And that was enough to get me recruited to a small Division One university called the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Nice. Uh, I, used, mm-hmm, um, I used one year of my eligibility there, then transferred to uh, an NCAA t- Division Two school called Northwest Missouri State, where um, I competed for the rest of my NCAA eligibility doing uh, cross-country in the fall indoor track in the winter and outdoor track in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, then, so I, I graduated in 2013, kind of like took a year off. Um, uh, and then I started to get the itch to compete again. So in 2014, I was just kind of sort of training, um, but not really sure like what direction I wanted to go. I, was, I mean, I took a couple like uh, MMA classes. I was getting in a parkour, just trying to find something that would keep me active, learn how to do something cool um, that would help me stay fit. And yeah. um, I was putting my biology degree to use working in a genetics lab, and I kind of stumbled upon these Spartan race things, and I noticed that uh, they offered a corporate discount. So I talked to my boss, and he put together um, a corporate team, and actually he made the good call also of like reaching out to Spartans, media people, um, to let them know that we're planning on sending a bunch of people um, from that place that I worked. It's called Molecular Testing Labs. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, we ended up being one of the um, features for the nationally televised episode on NBC. So, uh, funny enough, um, my, my first OCR ever was uh, a Spartan race um, in which I was like kind of one of the features, like had my brief interview on TV and everything, so it was an interesting level of pressure. I didn't <laughs> just get to kind of like try one out and fly to the radar. It was like, yeah. boom, you're here, do your thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's better that way, though. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, it was an experience because I, I got through that Spartan race, and, and after that, kind of realized that, uh, you know, this is the thing I can do. They're, they're fun to train for, and frankly, um, finding track and field races. I mean, track and field will always be my first love. Yeah. Finding track and field races post-collegiately, if you're not a professional, is pretty tough. Um, it's, there's not much community. Uh, there's a lot of flying, flying solo. And it's just, it's hard to find races. I know if you also the course race things, 
they go almost year-round, so um, I could really kind of dabble in it all seasons, which was nice, because at that time with my job, you know, I was working Saturdays, so I really wasn't sure if I'd be able to catch, like, track meets that I might have wanted to get into Yeah. otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that, that's how I got introduced to it. I'd say, so, yeah, that first one was in 2015. I didn't actually, like, start training specifically for it and really, like, know how to train for it until um, probably the last couple of years. Um, and then, yeah, ever since then, I, I still do some track stuff here and there. I, I love sprinting and running fast. Like I said, that's my first true love. But um, obstacle course racing sure as heck isn't a bad plan B. No, it's not. I mean, you're, you're pretty good at it. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. I try. I mean... Because I know the train race that I saw you at in, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> in Monroe, you won. Mm-hmm. That wasn't your yeah, first, though. Um, <laughs> no, I've done a, maybe five train races now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Have you won them all? No, man. I, I wish I was one of those guys that was like, oh, I found out about OCR and won. It was crazy. Yeah. Like, my, my, that first Spartan race, I, I ran kind of conservatively, but I was like, 31st in the open division. Um, my first terrain race, I got my butt handed to me on the rig. Like, I don't have natural grip strength. And this is uh, what's kind of funny is people think that I, I don't have a climbing background. I grew up in Nebraska, man. We're flatlanded. There's nothing to climb. Yeah. So I, I didn't even start working on grip strength until the last few years. Um, and I literally, like, without training, I can't even hang from one arm um, on a bar. So. I have really awful natural grip strength, and, and it kind of showed through for my first bunch of races. That's why I mentioned, like, you know, it took me a little bit to kind of figure out what this obstacle course racing beast was and kind of how to train for it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I can I can understand that. I mean, you, you get a lot of people, and I mean, you, I've seen it with a few other people that were were runners first. They get into the obstacle course racing, and in between obstacles, they'll kill you. But then they'd get to the yeah. obstacles, and they didn't have that especially Spartans that have all that upper body strength that you need, you know, where mm-hmm. someone who's built like me, who's a little bigger, sometimes has an advantage because I'm built to lift a tire, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but I'm not built for speed. So it's kind of like, you know, you got to find something in the middle. And that's, I think what you, once you've done a few, you learn on what you need to train for. You need to train to run, but at the same time, you need to train to hang, to lift, you know, it's, so I think that's what I love about OCR. It's everything. I mean, there, there's so many different things. You can't just train one area. You have to train your whole body. Yeah, so. you're exactly right. Uh, one thing I tell my athletes, I remind them that in OCR, it's not about being thoroughbred. It's about being a mule. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be able to get out and clock these low five-minute, maybe even sub-five-minute mile pace 5K. Um, you just got to be able to hold a sub-10-minute mile no matter what, whether they're sending you up stuff you got to get on your hands and knees for or – if during that mile you got to throw, you know, pick up a 75 pound bucket or throw some sandbags over your shoulders, like you got to still be able to keep on chugging. Yeah. Uh, like a pack mule. And that's what I love about OCR. Cause I mean, that's one thing is, I mean, if you listen to the episodes, you're, you'll learn really quick. I don't like to run. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. when I was a teenager, I played baseball, I played racquetball, I played tennis. And everyone's like, well, you run in those. I'm like, yeah, for like, 90 feet at a time. Right. You know, it's quick sprints. I was really good at that quick, like a quick sprint, like you need in tennis or racquetball or, you know, baseball where I needed to, uh, that sprint for 90 feet. But after that, I was, I was garbage. You know, <laughs> I wasn't a runner. Yeah. You know, it, uh-huh. it wasn't until I got older and when I gained a bunch of weight and the first time when I lost it all that I started running. And that was kind of one of those things. And even then it wasn't something I really enjoyed but it was a means yeah. to an end. And then it was OCR yeah. is what I really found where I loved it. Cause I could run for that short period of time. Sometimes that short period's a mile to two miles, but still then I got an obstacle that I got to figure out. And that's what I, right. It's almost like it, yeah. It tricks you into forgetting about the, the running part. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I love about it is, I mean, it's the obstacles are what's fun for me. I mean, I'm always, for whatever reason, even being a big guy, monkey bars, I can kill them almost every time. And I don't, nice. I, I've never understood why I can, I mean, cause I'll be honest, I'm 250. So, and, <laughs> uh, 
And for whatever reason, monkey bars, even the terrain race, I was able to get across those. And I still don't know how I did it. But then any other... And then any other, but any other like upper body ones like rope climb, I can't do for nothing. Uh, you know, the rig, I can't do twister. I can't do, but for whatever reason, the monkey bars is, is like my wheelhouse. So Funky. yeah, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's, I've got to figure out why and then figure out how I can work on that. Cause apparently I have the grip strength for the monkey bars, but not for the others. So I've got to figure out why that is. And one, I need to lose the weight, but that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for what like I said, for whatever reason the monkey bars, that's I can do that one every time. But it's the restroom, the rings, everything else for some reason I have issues on those and I've never figured out completely why. I don't know if it's a mental thing that I keep telling myself I can't and that's why I don't or what, but it's, it's weird, but that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You brought it up there for a minute is your training. I mean, you have, you do training. That's kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, tell, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I own my business called Portland Outdoor Athletics, um, mobile personal training for people that want to be outside. Uh, I have an eight mile radius that I operate within, uh, that covers most of Portland and, I go mobile, uh, drive my car to meet athletes, really at the place of their preference. Um, we have some key sites like Dunaway Track is very popular, some mm-hmm. of the most popular training that we have, um, but kind of depending on the athlete's goal and um, what level of convenience they need, I might even meet them outside their homes or even intercept them on their commute home from work to conduct their personal training sessions. That's really cool. I mean, and that's cool. I mean, it's great. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that people have issues with, with personal training is the convenience, you know? Yeah. It's trying to get to the gym uh, and all of that stuff. And, but if you have someone like you that will actually come out and say, Hey, okay, we're going to meet here. That's convenient. Then all of a sudden that changes everything. Yeah. And that, that's the hope of these. I try to bring, you know, an unrivaled level of convenience to the table that really works with life. So, you know, I offer, Easy rescheduling too, um, and I make sure that I'm very accessible to the point where I actually limit how many athletes I work with so that they can all get the individual attention I think they deserve and that I can be as accessible to them um, as possible. So, yeah, yeah, typical American works a nine-to-five and maybe has kids and, you know, maybe a side hustle job, but everyone's busy in their own right, so just the commute to and from the gym already takes a bunch of time and then you know there's no telling that once you get to the gym there's not going to be a class taking up the space you wanted to use or you know someone else using your piece of equipment so there's different factors um not saying that gyms don't have their place i think they are a great tool that can be used but um for myself i find working outside in the great outdoors and just taking advantage of some of the many amazing public parks and playgrounds that Portland has to offer um, work is more functional training ground. I, I, I could see that. I, I agree. I know I've read the, what is that? I think it's Spartan Up that talks about that using the outside, using, you know, if you need to lift something, go find a rock. I mean, uh-huh. you know, use a tire. And I mean, really most Spartan races, that's what they are. I mean, a lot of the stuff you're lifting is just stuff that's there, you know, and... Yeah. And, yeah, the people... I think because of most of the athletic competitions that I um, participate in nowadays, I do diversify, but most of the stuff I compete in is uh, OCR related. Yeah. So people kind of look at me as strictly an OCR guy, and it's like, you know, the whole training outside thing, um, it works for other people. I've, I've worked with, you know, a power lifter, uh, training people for American Ninja Warrior, you know, half marathons. We can still do things uh, you know, outside that isn't necessarily OCR related. Um, you know, sandbag work yeah. is great. It's super functional. They're basically like, you're a big barbell junkie. You're familiar with the Olympic style lifts, and we can convert all those movements to sandbag. Um, and what's nice about being outdoors is we can really kind of speed up the equipment and use our space, you know. Um, one thing that a gym will never have is a hill. And yeah, they have like Jacob's ladders, they have step mills and stairmasters and all that, but 
you can't adjust the stairmaster on the fly or max it out. Or it's just not the same as being able to run a hill and react to the footing of a trail. And um, I can incorporate hill work into my athlete sessions. And I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in honestly, like no matter what you're training for, if it's at all athletic, uh, it can benefit from certain kinds of hill work. So oh, I agree. I can hit the hill. Mm-hmm. I can get out the, you know, lots of it's about sandbags. It's like a gym's not going to let you just chuck around sandbags, even if they are kind of specifically meant for beating up because they don't want to risk splitting or, you know, making a mess. Making a mess. Yeah, beating up their equipment. Whereas, like, my stuff outdoors, it's like, heck yeah, I, I challenge you. Try and break my stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so we can get pretty aggressive with it. And that's good. I mean, that's. And that's one thing, you know, like I was saying, when I when I was running before, when I first started working out, I mean, this was back in like 2010, 2011, and started running, that was one of my biggest mistakes. I spent six months inside running on a treadmill and elliptical and all of that. And I mean, I dropped 70 pounds, but then I saw one of my friends like, let's go do a 5K. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. And I went and did a 5K yeah. on a trail and about... Hmm, I'd say about halfway through my legs and my lower back felt like they were on fire. And I was like, what is going on? And then I talked to some trainers and they're like, well, you spent all your time on a treadmill and elliptical, but you're even now all of a sudden you're running on a trail and your legs are twisting to the trail. You know, the, the different level of the trail, you know, it's up, down, it's tilted, it's whatever. And your body's not used to it. So yeah. And that's, you got to get outside and train. If you don't run, if you spend all your time running on a treadmill, the second you go run outside, even on a road, you're going to be in so much pain. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There's this phrase that I'm always repeating to my athletes, and it's because because my previous coaches have ingrained it in me. It's practice like you perform, practice like you perform. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be racing on a trail surface, ideally, we are training on a trail surface. Um, and, I mean, for me, that kind of ties into everything I do outdoors, too, right? Like, how many Spartan races did you participate in where you're encountering moisture, whether it's raining or it's because you're covered in sweat or you're covered in mud? Oh, every single one. get wet and slippery. Yeah. And you're never going to see things wet and slippery inside of a gym. No, you're not. And, I mean, that is that is one of the things that, you know, people forget about. I mean, you know, monkey bars, in ideally, when they're dry, are tough. Mm-hmm. Now let it rain. Now jump up on those yeah, monkey exactly. bars when it's pouring down rain and now it's wet and they're slick. And now your grip strength's really tested because not only are you trying to just hold on to the bar, you're trying to keep from sliding off the, you know, because it's wet. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, that was that was Seattle this year. I don't know. Were you up here for the Super in Seattle? I, I was up there for uh, the following day. I, I did the sprint distance. Okay. The, the sprint was wet. But the super was like, I mean, th- there was one of the barbed bar wire crawls that we swam through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it we, was. So my wife, Tasha and I, we were, I think that was one of the ones that was covered because we were watching it on yeah. line, watching the race. Kind of looking at each other like, well, I guess it's where we'll be tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the races, and I'll be honest, it was one of the first times, like, Bender, amazingly, Bender's one of my favorites. I love Bender. I mean, it, just the trying to get up and over that. And that was one of the first races where I walked up to, ben, to Bender and I had my son with me. He was 16 and it was pouring down rain. And I just looked at him. And I said, no, I'm not even going to let you try this at this point. <laughs> I mean, you have problems yeah. with heights and your grip strength isn't that good. And it's wet and it's, I'm not taking you out of here on a stretcher. So, and you know, it, it comes to one of those things sometimes in OCR where you have to make that decision. It's like, you know, we just should just do the burpees because I don't think this is safe. You know, and I, that's kind of where I was on Bender on that way day. And normally, I love Bender. So yeah, no, I, I think there's wisdom in that. A, a a long athletic career and someone who's going to have a nice functioning body late in their life should consider such things. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I haven't had a specific instance like that on like a Bender, but I know there's some technical descent, and I'm like, you know, I could probably risk shaving five seconds off if I bombed this a little extra hard, but if I slip out, I could, like, you know, break my ankle. So, if yeah. not, then I'll just try to make up those five seconds in a different part of the race. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's just it. And, I mean, that's one thing I've talked about on other episodes is how injury can completely change your path. Um, you yeah. know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you know. I mean, two years ago, I shattered my left foot. I mean, Jeez. 
the second, third, fourth, and fifth metacarsals all broke, all done, right, uh, right below the joint, you know, on the, the top of the foot. I mean, so my problem I've run into is I have no push off on that foot really anymore. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to fix that, but it's completely screwed up my gait. So yep. when I try to run, I start getting horrible pain in my back. And I've been trying to deal with that for about two years now. And then on top of that, because I couldn't really run correctly, I've gained 40 pounds. So it, yeah. it's it's been – it's a snowball effect. And now it's kind of at this point, it's trying to turn that snowball around and fix it, you know, and get back down uh-huh. to the weight that I should be and be able to run on that foot. But – how do you, I mean, I know you, you train, how do you deal with the, the, the injuries with people? Do you, I mean, I know you said you have a biology degree, but is that something that, you know, like with an injury like that, what would you suggest to try and get that foot back to and be able to run again? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you got to get your range of motion back. Um, most specifically dorsiflexion, so like being able to point your toe up because uh, climbing uphill just isn't really going to happen the way it needs to. If you can't point your toe up and then take advantage of your your Achilles sprain. Yeah, see, um, three three of the toes point up, but the other two don't do nothing. Yeah, so so basically, it's kind of like this this progression of damage control we can do, where um, people think just because they're hurt from running, they need to kind of like take totally take time off. And I've, from firsthand experience um, and you know personal observation, just seeing a lot more success with. Instead of totally not using an injured part, you got to find how to gently use it. Use it enough that you um, encourage, you know, fresh blood flow and breaking up scar tissue that might otherwise limit your range of motion permanently. Yeah. Uh, gently use it enough to like strengthen it. You know what I mean? But you got to walk that line of, of not re-injuring or further injuring. Yeah, um, and that's that is the hard part. Yeah. So so okay, your ankle jacked. Well. All right, maybe we can't specifically run on trails. Let's seek out something flat. Okay, well, maybe uh, the impact of paved surfaces isn't working for you. Uh, you know, two golden places that I think everyone listening should take advantage of that are, they're not even, they're like runners' best kept secrets in Portland, but they're not even secrets. It's just people don't use them as cool like they should, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the, Sandy, the Sandy Beaches at Kelly Point Park. Um, and the Woodship Trail at Glendivere Golf Course. These are two public places where you can get plenty of mileage on nice, soft, cushy surfaces. Uh, so good for coming back from injury. Um, and also, frankly, like some foot strengthening. But, um, okay, let's say even those aren't an option. Any kind of running is jacking you up. Then I send you, you know, one of my favorite homework assignments for my athlete. Let's do some biking, right? Hop on the bike. And I'm going to give you, you know, like maybe a, a goal target for like heart rate range and like revolutions per minute so that it best mimics running or mm-hmm. pool. The pool should be the injured, the really injured athlete's number one friend because the high resistance of water is such that you kind of have to try to hurt yourself in a pool. Yeah. Um, and if you do it correct, where right, you convert your workouts to time, um, you, you can really maintain an almost astonishing level of running fitness in the pool. I've literally seen, you know, this, this girl in high school, she ran two cross-country meets of the entire year. She was so injured. She had to spend, you know, all the rest of the month of training strictly in a pool. Um, so all the, this girl would just spend the whole season in a pool for a sport that requires being out of a pool. Yeah. Then the only two meets she ran of the year were districts, which qualify you for state, and then state, and she won state. And it's like her running form wasn't specifically that great, but her motor, you know, her lungs, her heart, yeah, all that was just like tip top thanks to the pool. So yeah, there are alternatives: bike, pool, hike, rolling um, machine. You know what I mean? There are cardio alternatives to where you can kind of work your engine in a very similar way, um, but just kind of sacrifice specifically the running motion until your body is ready for that again see and i love that because that was my mistake and i mean that's one thing i've mentioned it multiple times on the the podcast is i made the mental mistake of well i'm injured i might as well sit on the couch and eat some potato chips and that was yeah that and but that's that's a normal unfortunately it's a normal thought process 
You know, it's like, well, yeah. I'm injured. I can't do anything. So I might as well sit on the couch and do nothing. Yeah, no, totally. That's not to call you out, man. That, that is exactly where everyone takes you. Oh. Until you have a coach or someone else kind of basically make you aware of these alternatives to where it's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm not worried about this little body part being hurt because I got the whole rest of my body I can work and I can even address what is injured in a different way, kind of. Yeah. And that's just it. And I mean, you know, and like I said, I mean, I know what my mistake was and and I knew better because I mean, it's not my first rodeo. I mean, I blew my knee the first time when I was in junior high and it was one of those things when I blew my knee, I still trained and I kept going because I was in martial arts and that was what I was all about. But I made the mistake of coming back too fast. You know, I kept training in other ways to keep my body going. But then I came back too quick and ended up re-injuring my knee almost immediately and like being out for another year because of it, you know, and that was, yeah. and I think, you know, that's where a lot of people fear is they make the mistake of, well, I'm good. I'm good. It feels great. I'm going to go for it. And it's like, no, you probably still, still should wait. The second it feels great, you probably still need to wait a little bit. And that was my mistake because I thought, you know, I was 15, 16 years old, thought I felt great. And I did a 360 spin and landed and my knee went, nope, it's not good. And yeah, you know, and it's like six months after blowing my knee out the first time. So it was kind of like, yeah, I probably should have waited another six months, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it makes you feel any better, honestly. I think this is just like the world of being a competitive athlete. Injuries are unfortunately uh, part of the game. And I don't know anyone who's competing at a high level that doesn't have their own personal story of trying to come back too early from an injury yeah. and making what been maybe a few days turn into a few months. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's sometimes that's the way the ideal athlete coach relationship works. And you just have these certain kinds of mindsets, these people that are really hard chargers and if left to their own devices, they will just be constantly alternating between injured, get back just enough to re-injure themselves will kind of be like spinning in this vicious cycle of injury um, unless until they get connected to like the right coach that kind of holds the reins back. You know, yeah. hold the reins back just enough to keep said athlete from breaking themselves, but not so much that you, uh, you know, let, not so much that you don't let them like open their stride and, and fly and still compete hard. And yeah, sometimes that coach-athlete balance is just that. The athlete doesn't need motivation. Um, if anything, they just need to be controlled and, and like have their energy most effectively focused and the intensity is determined for them lest they go crazy and try to just go you know ball to the wall super hard every single day yeah and see that's one of the things i mean honestly where were you like eight years ago when i blew my knee last time but because <laughs> that was my mistake and i mean that's the thing is i mean that's what i've mentioned on the podcast is i've I lost, you know, I was down under 200 pounds. I was about 190 or so, which for me is, was pretty good. And cause before when I started, I was almost 280, 290 and I dropped down to like 190. So, and I was running, I was doing great. Um, and I was doing the Portland rock and roll half marathon and it was the first year they did it. So I think it was like 2012 and something tweaked in my knee while I was running, but I finished and I'm like, okay, I'm good. But then I wanted that special medal you got for doing both Seattle and Portland in the same year. Yeah. Seattle was two weeks later. Yeah. So I went and did Seattle and about halfway through, I was coming down one of the big, the downhills and my knee popped bad, like to enough that I dropped. And I was like, okay, that wasn't good. But I looked at my running partner. I'm like, I should be fine. I'm going to keep going. So I ran another, you know, six and a half or so miles. And by the end of the race, I mean, it was like every other step, my knee was trying to give out. So it was toast. And my doctor's looking at me going, if you would have stopped when it popped the first time, you probably would have had a couple months of physical therapy and everything else and you would have been fine. But because you're pigheaded and kept going, you're looking at like a year of physical therapy and everything else. And by the time my knee was healed, I had gained back 40 pounds and I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to do it anymore. And that's where I lost all my motivation and then started getting back into it. And then I broke the foot and it, it, it injuries take a toll, but having a coach like you that would have been there that said, Hey, cool, you're injured. Let's work on this instead would have been, you know, an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, one nice thing I will say too about like 
you know, the world of, the world of obstacle course racing being so, I say multifaceted, you know, tests so many different kinds of athleticism and so full body. It really is super easy to just shift your focus. Um, like, it, it'd be different if you were training specifically for a marathon. I mean, when you agree to seriously pursue the marathon, you're signing up to be one trick pony. Basically, yeah. your world is just counting miles and, you know, building your aerobic machine, building up this ridiculous um, aerobic base. And at that point, if you get, like, hurt, if you pull in a running injury from that, yeah, it is more difficult to shift focus. But also incorporating so on company that, yeah, it's very, very easy to just be like, I have every single body part being used, whatever is injured, now, you know, say I tweak, I jack my left hand up, let's say, uh, okay, well, all the time and energy I was focusing towards working things that include my left hand, now that time and intensity is just shifted elsewhere temporarily until left hand's ready to jump back on board, you know? Yeah. It really doesn't have to be like this thing that crippled your season. Um, I, mean, I, I, I should make, I should leave room for exceptions. There are going to be some times where, like, if you're anemic, you know, sometimes you just got to, like, yeah, kick back. But I think the vast majority of the time, um, the answer isn't just kind of throwing in the towel and tapping out for a while. I think there's lots of things we can be doing. It just takes a little bit of awareness and maybe some creativity. Even. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's awesome. Is, I mean, it's, it's just not throwing in the towel, and that was my mistake. And I mean, I look back now, but they say, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But now it's like, you know, I realize what I did, and I realize what I need to do, and I, I, I need to do something to better myself. I mean, I did, a, I did do a marathon in November because, well, I'm dumb. But <laughs> um, it, it's one of those things, and I say it, I say it, Jess. But at the same time, it's like I, I would not, I would not tell anybody to do what I did. I told myself. When I was still, before I blew my knee, that before my 40th birthday, I would do a full marathon. My 40th birthday was December 2nd of last year. The Seattle Marathon was six days prior to that. So that was my that was my last chance to do it. And it's like, well, I'm not in any shape to do this. I really probably shouldn't be out there and doing it. But I told myself I would do it before I was 40. So I'm doing it anyway. And it was... I mean, I'll be honest, it was nine and a half hours of hell because I was not prepared for it. I wasn't ready for it. You know, and a lot of people have asked me, what would you do for your next one? And I'm like, train. Uh That's about all I could say. I would train for it. You know, I wasn't trained. I wasn't ready. I, I, it was just one of those things. It it basically, it came down to just being stubborn. I was stubborn enough to say, I'm going to go do 26.2 miles and that's it. You know, Uh and I was, did I finish it? Yes. But I still would not tell somebody else to do what I did. I would be like, trade, get ready for it. Do it the correct way. I do want to, I keep telling everyone I'm never going to do another one, which is probably a lie. I do want to train and actually do one and do it correctly. You know, not, not just grudgingly along going and just, you know, it was pure willpower by the time I finished. It was, there was nothing athletic about it. It was pure willpower to just not say I'm done. I'm, I'm quitting. It was just to keep, putting one foot in front of the other by the end there was my left ankle was locked it wouldn't even move by the end of the race so i mean if you uh, if you ever see the video of me finishing the race i'm running really weird because my left ankle literally had like just stuck and i couldn't bend yeah, it and man. i'm just like nope i'm i'm still going and it was i would never tell anybody to do it the way i did it. yeah i i feel like i could probably do a whole podcast a whole separate podcast of reasons why I think the vast majority of people that are in pursuit of running a marathon should not do it, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad it didn't leave you permanently crippled. I mean, most people don't realize there's a reason that the first person in recorded history to complete running that distance, a well-trained foot soldier who died from oxygen death after completing the feat. Like, yeah. This is something that literally exhausts every energy reserve in your body it's going to be a hell ride, even if you're perfectly suited for it and perfectly well um, prepared for it. So, folks that are listening, I do a half marathon. If you want to test your endurance capacity, honestly, even a 5K is a, a, like a road race 5K. It's going to be upwards of 95 plus percent endurance component. So, you, you can test your endurance in different ways. Um, it's a very amateur mindset to think that longer means harder. 
Um, fr- frankly, like any half fit body can walk out a marathon. I find it much more impressive to run a shorter distance <laughs> at a more quality pace. Um, exactly. For. You know, some people always just know them for bragging rights. They want to be able to say they ran a marathon. Okay, whatever. I'll tell you, for me, I I will never run a marathon. I have zero interest in doing it. Um, but yeah, like there there are ways of testing your endurance um, that are they're just healthier. Yeah, you know, longevity wise. Oh yeah. So many factors come into being ready for a good marathon. So I, I think a half marathon is a great distance for everybody. I think every single body type can train up for a half marathon. But um, a full marathon, I mean, at some point we got to draw the line somewhere. Because what if, what if, because uh, 26.2 miles is like the coolest thing to do right now, so everyone wants to do it. Well, okay, what if the marathon, marathon distance just so happened to be 54 54.6 miles. Are, are you now going to run 54.6 miles? Like, yeah. You know, there has to be, there has to be an end somewhere. So, but that's kind of my, my two cents on the whole thing. Oh, there has to be, but I mean, and, and there's like the ultra marathoners out there and all that stuff. And I mean, they're crazy, but for me, like I said, and I mean, you know, I even, I've admitted it repeatedly that my way of doing that marathon wasn't right, but it was a, something in my brain. I told myself I would do it and I just felt I had to because I said I would, but yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, like I said, I would never tell anybody to do it the way I did for one. My training wasn't there, but I did it and it was, it was just pure willpower by the end. There was no physical, anything about it. I could barely move. I could barely walk. I mean, I had, you know, people that worked for the marathon that were following me the whole time to make sure I was still okay. But it was just pure pain at that point. And I mean, by the end, it was just, my body wasn't, you know, at the end, my body's telling me you're an idiot. You shouldn't have done this, but it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm already past 20 miles. So there's no quitting now, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you made it through the wall. Props to you for having the you know, fire in your belly and the grit to finish. That, that is very impressive. You came in hot on the marathon and survived and chose the tail. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, like I said, the, the, but I would, anybody else that said they were going to do it, I'd be looking at me, you're stupid. <laughs> I know it sounds yeah. bad to say it that way, but it's just like, I guess stupid isn't the right word, but train, wait. You know, if I would have been smart, I would have said, you know, I may not get it by 40. Let's go for 42 and let's train and get my body into the right shape to do this. You know, let's figure out my gait issue and get my run down right, you know, so that I don't end up doing like I did where my, my ankle locked. Like I said, I mean, for it was probably the last two miles, I couldn't even bend my ankle because it just like every bit of my ankle locked up. And it's just like, yeah, you know, if I could go back, I think I would tell myself, wait, wait till you're 42 and, you know, train and get to the, get to where you should be. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's tough. You know, none of us are professional athletes, so uh, we can't afford to, you know, put ourselves in a position where your ankle's locked up for a couple weeks and, you know, you have your team of doctors and the physical therapists taking care of you. No, it's like your ankle locks up, you still got to play dad and go to work, Yeah, you know, the next week. And uh, and also, honestly, like, miss out on follow-on race opportunities because you're healing up still. So, um, I'd say, you know, people that are on the fence of whether or not they want to do a marathon, don't let me make a decision for you, but I just really want you to be aware of what you're signing up for. Um, because there can be more lasting effects than what you realize yeah. if you're just in pursuit of bragging rights and a new Facebook profile pic, you know. Um, you could do a half marathon instead and get tons of the same, um, fitness games I mean honestly like half marathon and full marathon training are like basically the exact same thing um, but also maybe you could run a half marathon and get in three OCRs over a four month period instead of be stubborn and do a marathon and that's all you're doing for a four month period because it jacked you up so bad yeah and that was kind of one of the things too why I you know and a lot of people kind of wondered why I went for Seattle in November and I'm like I know it's going to be rainy and nasty but I have no OCRs planned until April. So, I mean, I have like three months or not actually March because I usually do Vegas, but, you know, for like three months. So if for whatever reason afterwards I need that time to recover, I got it, you know? Yeah. 
And that's what I was kind of planning. But so let's pause for a minute and uh, have a commercial and then we'll come back from commercial and talk some more. All right. Sounds good. Gray's Harbor Unders makes the performance-based layer clothing you want and need. Whether you work, hunt, hike, fish, run, or ride in the great outdoors. If you work up a sweat, Gray's Harbor Unders are for you. Because their unique dual-layer fabric removes moisture from your body and keeps your skin dry. Even when the outer layer is completely wet. It's a base layer like no other. Get you some at ghunders.com. That's ghunders.com. For the best performance-based layer you'll ever wear. All right, we're back from commercial. So we've been talking about the marathon and kind of the correct training for that and all that stuff. How do you, I mean, I know you do the OCRs. What do you think is the best kind of training for an OCR? What, what how, if, if I was to come to you right now and I'd never done an OCR and you've seen mm-hmm. me before, you know what my body type is. What, what would you tell me? I'd say basically OCR is cross country running with climbing-related obstacles and heavy carries mixed in. Um, Those are broad strokes, but generally speaking, if you train for those things, it's going to cover all your bases. Um, At the heart of obstacle course racing, it's still a race. You're still trying to get from point A to point B in the fastest way possible. They're just time-consuming and very energy-consuming obstacles in between. Yeah. if you kept splits on um, your race, well, this is inside everyone, depending on how you race, but the people that are doing these things, they're spending more time traveling between obstacles than they are on the obstacles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, technically, like American Ninja Warrior falls into the category of obstacle course racing, so that would be an example of where, no, like, basically your entire competition is an obstacle, but... Yeah. In common usage, when you use the phrase obstacle course racing, you're referring to something that includes trails or off terrain, off pavement terrain, um, and it has it has some miles to count throughout. Um, so, yeah, at the heart of it is cross country racing, and that's going to be time wise the majority of um, what you're doing on course. Yeah. And anyone that's ran cross country before knows that that basically means you got to learn to love hills, um, especially because the some of the course directors, especially like you know Spartan Race, we keep bringing that up because they're they're kind of the top dogs in the game right now. They're really good about finding like cross country on steroids. You know, oh, yeah. speaking out. The most wicked things they can find where literally you need to get down all fours at some points, or like they might even be freaking sending you up beast slope during the off season. Yeah, and they do do that. There are some some of their courses that are like that. I mean, if you've ever done Montana, the Montana Spartan, that's where I I my very first Spartan was the Montana Beast in fifteen, the founder mm-hmm. the founders race, and I never understood hills until I did that. And it's brutal. I mean, it it kills you. I mean, going up and down those hills. And honestly, for someone like me, and people are surprised because I've blown both of my knees at different points in my life, so they're not 100%. It's the downhill that hurts. It's not uphill. Uphill is is hard on the muscles, but downhill is hard on my knees. You know, and that's just, oh, it's brutal. That's literally exactly what I think. We're inside differently, but yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, so yeah, if you really have to pin me down, I mean, it's super dangerous for me to say that there's like a, well, you do this one thing and you're ready for LCR. No. No. But if you were like, hey, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing, what's the one thing I should do? I'd be like, find a hilly trail to run on, and, um, besides running on that, like, farmer's carry. Because farmer's carry is kind of like the one way you can be both preparing yourself for heavy carry, you know, getting your legs used to pushing under added resistance while simultaneously building up some of the grip strength that's going to be required for um, traversing through rigs and whatnot. Um, that should definitely not be definitely not be where you stop. That's not the end goal. But no. like, in, like a snapshot of someone's like, give me a workout that is kind of like an OCR. That's the easiest way. I'd be like, you know, grab a couple kettlebells, a couple dumbbells, basically something that's heavy uh, that taxes your grip. And, and time hell. <laughs> take it for the march. 
and alternate those marches with Philly Trail Run. That's that's the deal. Yeah, and that that is kind of true. I mean, it was one of those things for me. I mean, I've said it before: is I. I did half marathons. I did all that, you know, when I was losing weight and I lost all the weight. And then after I did a gladiator during that time before I got hurt and then I got hurt. And when I came back, I did like hell run, which is no longer around survivor mud factor, a bunch of those smaller runs. Mm-hmm. And then someone told me about Spartan and I earned a free race at Washougal, but I couldn't run cause I was injured. My, I had a cut on my hand where there was 15 stitches in my hand. So I'm like, well, I can't run, but I went with some friends and I'm like, I'll just volunteer and get my free race. And so I did that at Washougal in 2014. And then I'm like, well, where's the next race? Let's go to Montana. Nobody told me that there was difference in the races. Nobody told me that there was a beast and a sprint and whatever. I'm just like, oh, there's a race in Montana. Let's go do that one. Let's do Saturday because I, I want to drive back on Sunday. Yep. Not realizing that Saturday was a beast and what a beast was, you know, and uh-huh. just signed up and did it. I'm like, oh, let's go. And I went by myself, no friends, no nothing, and just went and – I ended up running into two beasts on the trail. I was part of the beast OCR group on Facebook, but I'd never met anybody. And I met two yeah. guys on the trail and it was one of those things that we, we both said at different times that we saved each other because I was about ready to quit. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done <laughs> and I don't want to do it yeah. anymore. And then I ran into them, but then it kind of became one of those, well, I'm going to keep him going. So I better keep going. And you know, we finished, but it was, it was brutal. And I was not ready. It was. I think if somebody would have came to me and said, "This is what a Spartan is," I would have looked at him and said, "You're an idiot. I ain't doing that." Yeah. And I think it helped the fact that I had no idea what I was walking into. And I mean, come to find out later that not only did I pick a beast, I picked a founder's beast, which was even mm-hmm. worse. So I mean, when I saw mile marker yeah. seventeen, I wanted to find whoever like built this course and kick him in the in the jimmy. But I mean. <laughs> I, I think that course ended up being almost 19 miles that year. It was brutal. And that's how I started. And it was one of those that I think that's what kept me going though, was I started with that one. So then it was like, well, I started with a beast. I might as well do the super and sprint. And then every year yeah, I, tr- I worst. yeah, it's like, I found the worst one. So why not do the others? You know, in, yeah. you know, 2015, I got a trifecta and then 2000, uh-huh. And then 2016, I even with a broken foot, I got double because I did a uh, I, I did Hawaii in a boot because well as I've stated before I'm dumb, but <laughs> I did have doctor's approval. The doctor said I could do it as long as I never landed on that foot. I could do whatever I wanted. He's like, just don't land on the foot. You can walk on it. You can do whatever you want. Just don't land on it. You know, because I had the full boot on. He said you can do a Spartan race in a boot as long as you never land on one foot. Which tells me your doctor has no idea what Spartan races. Yeah, pretty much. He just said I couldn't land on that foot. I could land on the right foot. I just couldn't land on my left. He's like, just keep the boot on and don't land on that foot. And I'm like, okay, cool, dude. So, <laughs> and then, you know, last year I got a triple trifecta and I'm going for triple again this year. So, it, it just kind of, it's grown as it went. And I mean, it's kind of, I always feel one of those, I need to lose the weight. But at the same time, I feel kind of like, I hope I inspire some people to say, Hey, you know, people are like, I'm not in the right shape. I'm like, look at me. I did triple trifecta last year. I'm not in any shape, but on the same side of that, I don't want it to be like, Hey, look, I'm a fat guy still doing this. I want it to be like, Hey, I did this even though I was big, but at the same time, I'm trying to get healthy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We should all be moving towards better versions of ourselves. You know? Yes. Trying to maximize potential is a big thing with me. Um, And when people can, just learn to fall in love with the daily grind of, of trying to like maximize their potential. Cause I mean, trying to make a new, a better version of yourself every day. That frankly, that, that isn't really realistic. At some point we're all going to be getting old. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I'm not going to be able to move at age 70 like I could when I was age 50. Assuming I even make it to that age, you know? So yeah. yeah, every day just like finding love with trying to maximize your potential and make the most of it. Like that's the ride. That's what's fun. That's what's cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's key. And it is. I mean, it's maximized the potential. And that's kind of my, you know, I've told everyone this year, 2018 to me has been my year of no excuses. It's like I've had excuses the last couple of years. You know, in 2016, I shattered my foot. You know, 2017, I was still dealing with that. And then I quit smoking, which my own fault, I quit smoking. And then I started like eating like a fish. I mean, it was just didn't, wasn't good. 
so I, I made, I made excuses for myself, you know, and, and that's the big key was coming to the point that I, I understood that yes, I had excuses in 2016 and 2017, but I made those excuses. There was ways to do what I needed to do, even though I had the, the injury. And even though, I, you know, quitting smoking is not an excuse to gain weight. It's, I used that as an excuse. So my goal in 2018 was supposed to be my year of no excuses. I need to fix or not fix to better myself uh-huh. physically and mentally and not use excuses to just do it, you know, and that's been the, the big key for me. You know, it's like right now, I mean, I'm, Basically, as of tomorrow, I'll be two weeks out from having surgery because I uh, had a hyal or I had a umbilical hernia. So I had that fixed, and you know when I did terrain, I actually had it. It was my last race I could do before I I, I had surgery. So I have four weeks where I can't lift anything over twenty pounds. But then it's like I asked my doctor, I'm like, can I run? He's like, yep. You can do anything cardio. You can do, he's like, the only thing I would say, don't lift anything over 20 pounds and don't do crunches or anything like that because, you know, you, you have a, an injury basically to your stomach because I just cut it open. So, and that's kind of the thing is I've been trying to do is find ways to still do it. It's like, okay, cool. I can't do this, but can I do this? And that's, you know, kind of the thing that's been great about, you know, like this episode we've really talked about it's Okay. You have an injury to, you know, like you said earlier, you have an injury to your left hand. Well, an injury to your left hand doesn't mean you can't run, you know, yeah, exactly. or an injury to your foot doesn't mean you can't do pushups, doesn't mean you can't do crunches. I mean, there's still stuff you can do no matter what injury you have. It's just finding a way to work around it. Yeah, man, there are always options. Um, I'm, I'm flashing back right now to the, the personal example. Um I, so some of those people out there listening might kind of know my story. I, um, I don't swamp this one around, but basically, like, I had a big appendix thing through college where essentially my appendix went bad, but they didn't figure out that's what it was. So I, I went two months of just intense training, competing with a bad appendix. Um, and luckily, you know, I didn't rupture anything, but basically, when you spent a couple months with a bad organ that's festering inside of you that causes other problems. Um, so, anyways, I had an emergency appendectomy, and in recovering from that, it was one of those things It's like, uh, you know, I can't do much. When I sneeze, I feel like someone just took a katana to my liver, so... Yeah. Like, you can't... Yeah, um, but I would... Uh, <laughs> I, I lived with um, my teammates, my college teammates at the time, and they would find me... Um, they give you this little breathing apparatus where you basically like practice sucking in really hard and blowing out really hard because mm-hmm. um, it can build your diaphragm um, up and anyone who's had an appendectomy knows what I'm talking about. And I would make a circuit where I would do that and then grip strength work and calf raising um, and then hold my breath because those were the only things I could do that wouldn't you know, send shearing pain to my midsection that would risk furthering my injury. So this isn't shooting my own horn, but just letting you know, like, even in that pretty pathetic state, I still found a way to, like, kick up my heart rate. Um, even if it was kind of dumb, weird stuff that doesn't really directly translate to any competition, I was still at least able to burn some calories and kind of scratch my daily itch of needing a workout yeah. um, until follow-on healing occurred. Yeah, and, that, and that's just what it's all about is, I mean, finding some way to continue to continue getting better, you know, and to to continue your workout and do everything else. And, and that's just it. I mean, that that's awesome that you found a way even with like an appendix, you know, an appendectomy to, to still, you know, raise your heart rate and do all that stuff. And that that's, like I said, I, you know, I think the biggest problem you run into is, you know, you get people that have the same mindset that I did where it's like, Oh, foot's messed up. Better sit on the couch and eat some potato chips. It's like, everything goes out the window. You know, it's not even just the, it's not even just not working out now the diet, you know, well, I can't work out. Who cares about the diet? Might as well eat potato chips. And Uh, it it sounds horrible, but that, that's just kind of the mentality you run into is, Oh, well, can't do one of it. So the whole thing's shot. And, and that's yeah. not the way it should be. It should be, oh, well, my foot's hurt. I better keep up. This is when I should work harder at my diet, you know, and what I'm putting into my body. And let's see what workouts I can do that don't involve my foot. 
you know, and, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And, and personally for me, this might be a good tool for other people. I thought I can guilt myself into some, um, some positivity or like, like some good word. You know, every time I might start feeling sorry for myself and, and you know, have, have something going on where it actually could serve as a legitimate excuse for sitting out like, Hey, my appendix is jacked up or whatever. You know, you hear those stories of athletes, um, that overcome something far greater. And then it's kind of like, man, I'm a piece of crap. Like if they can get you that, I can at least get my, you know, sorry lady butt up and do something. Um, I found like, you know, every great athlete, I think that's kind of the assumption made that the things happen for them. And that from my experience, that's just not the case at all. Like all of them have these really inspiring stories where it's like, you know, damn, you came back from that and did what? So you hear that kind of stuff and you're exposed to it. And then it's just a given. It's like, if they can do that, I'm not them, but I can at least do this, you know? Yeah. Um, it kind of rubs it off on you. And it is, I think there, there is some guilt and shame in there. Like, man, I kind of suck for like thinking that was a good excuse. And But you don't use it, you know? And as long as the end goal, the, the end result is that like you're moving forward, I think that little bit of guilt, little bit of shame can actually be a pretty effective tool. It's properly applied. You can even, like I said, self-apply them. You know, look up on YouTube, Google. I know everyone who's listening to this has access to the internet. Look up some motivating stories, and honestly, yeah. they might even make you feel like a little kind of like a piece of crap just for like a second. And as long as that helps you get out the door and get moving, I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll be one of those ones, and I'll be honest that I'm, I, I've, how do I say this right? I, I've kind of felt like against people that are athletes, like all their lives, kind of. I guess I, I, I'm trying to think of the word, you know, I've given them a raw deal, I think, because most time I like talking to people who have been overweight or gone, had a drug addiction or something. They had something that they came back from. And I think you run into a lot of times a prejudice of people look at someone. Well, he's been an athlete his entire life. He hasn't gone through nothing. But then you talk to someone like you and I'm talking to you and it's, well, you know, I had an appendix appendectomy and I did all this and you talk to someone and it's like, their story is just as inspirational as anybody else's. Just because someone has been an athlete all their life doesn't mean that they've had to haven't had to work hard to stay an athlete. And that's where I think a lot of people have an issue where they they see that. And it's like for me, I mean, I, I posted a picture because I've talked about it many times that I was an athlete in high school. I graduated high school at 140 pounds, you know, and I posted a picture of me like skinny as can be and just everything else and i'm like this is what i look yeah. like and then all of a sudden i gained weight and everything else and it's like i want to get back to healthy i know i'll never get down to that size and i had someone be like well you should never say never and i'm like i don't say that because i don't think i could i say that because i don't think it would be healthy to get back down to the size i was then i mean 140 pounds for me now i don't think it's going to be healthy but yeah, 100 yeah, 180, 190, that would be healthy and I think would be a good weight, you know, and it's one of those. And I think back to the the person, I the, the mindset I had back then was, you know, you kind of had this mindset when you were an athlete and a teenager, you'd look at people and you're like, well, they choose to be fat. That's their fault. Yeah, and it's a whole. Everyone has a story, man. Yes. Everyone has an example of overcoming diversity. Just some people kind of, they, they keep their stories more sheltered than others. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, everyone has stories. Oh, they do. And it's one of those things, you know, I talked in the last episode when I was talking to Brandy about the mental side of it. And I think that's part of been one of my issues is, you know, I was that skinny guy. I was that athletic guy. I was, you know, an avid mountain biker. I mean, I'd go up into like the mountains and go up the ski slopes and ride mountain bikes for days. I loved it. Okay. You know, I was baseball, tennis, racquetball. I loved it all. And then I blew my knee and it all went, it all went away. And... I have this mental picture now where when I'm out on a course or doing whatever, I think of myself, I, I, and I'm horrible about this. And my own self image is I see myself as the fat guy. And when I'm out on the course, I see other people looking at me and they could be looking at me thinking, wow, that is amazing. He's out here. He's doing it. He's trying to better himself. I'm so proud of him. But in my mind, I think they're thinking, what is that fat guy doing out here on the course? He should be at home on the couch. And it's horrible, but it's that mental side of like, it's that mental side of everything where you have mentally, you know, you you think of yourself in the worst possible way. And that's one of the things I'm trying to fix with myself is to think that, 
Maybe most people out there think the same way I do, where they see a bigger person on the course saying, good for them, they're out there, they're getting off the couch and they're trying to fix or, you know, better themselves and do everything else. But I'm horrible in the fact that I think, I guess a horrible isn't the best way, but I, I think that everyone thinks the worst of me. And, and I, that's a hard part, I think, for someone my size and have gone through what I have to get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, you got to shake that. Uh, I know it's way easier said than done, but I definitely think if, if people are giving you looks, from my experience in the OCR community, it's definitely the latter. Like, there's inspiration in that. Um, and also, like you said, you're, you're out there bettering yourself. You're in pursuit of a solution. Of, yeah. Basically, you're in pursuit of um, a solution to a visible problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I can remember this personally, honestly, from the opposite side. Like, I... Not, uh, I almost don't want to use the word skinny shaming, but like, you know, there's fat shaming, there's skinny shaming. Yeah. And I was a scrawny little puny, like, barely over 100 pounds freshman. I was just a tiny kid for a lot of my life. I was the runt. Um, and I was like, always wanted to be bigger and stronger. And I just wasn't. And I I remember, um, you know, I had, a, I had a badass strength and conditioning coach that I was really fortunate to work under through high school. He's, he's a linebacker for Kansas State University and just like super hardcore, like had a very military presence, like different colored eyes and this stare that would just make you melt. Yeah. Um, if you got in trouble. And that hard-ass guy, he ran a super tight ship in his weight room, but he's super effective. And I felt like I didn't belong in there because I was just this, like, scrawny kid who's fighting to bench the bar. And, uh, but then, you know, one lecture he said that just always stuck out to me, and I know he worded it differently, but he was basically like, um, this is where people belong. You know, if you're, like, small, if you're, like, tiny, and you want to add some bulk, you want to get stronger, what better place you belong than here? Like, you belong here more than the bodybuilders do. Uh, hospitals are where sick people belong. Uh, weight rooms are where scrawny little boys that want to become men belong, you know? Yeah. And it's like, from that point on, I, I still do the process. Every day I have to work at, like, you know, keeping myself confident. But it's kind of like, I didn't care near as much or look around to see whether or not people were looking at me. Because I knew this wasn't the version of me that was going to stay. I was working on a better version that we all couldn't see yet, but it was coming. Um, and just having that foresight and that uh, long-term view, I think, is important. So I think you're good, man. I'm proud of you. You're out there. You're getting on the course, and you're asking the right questions that uh, imply that your mentality is in the right place and you're heading in the right direction. So you just keep doing your thing, man. Um, I don't think anyone's doing doing the fat guy thing. And if they are there, they suck. So... <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, there are people like that. So, well, thank you. I, I'm I'm trying to get better, and um, I'm going to get better. Yeah, it's gonna go. be yeah. So, well, um, we've been talking for a little over an hour, so I think we should wrap this up a little bit. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners in closing? Yeah, um, I would just say you know beware. There's lots of free advice out there. Unfortunately, not all of it is good. I'm not going to pretend like I have all the right answers, but uh, one, one thing that I see people make a mistake of is just not being skeptical enough. Be skeptical of who's giving information. You know, look at their background. What qualifies them for being able to give you advice? Um, yeah, I'll just leave that at that. Um, also, I want to give a shout-out to um, my sponsor, Lake Oswego Massage Therapy. Um, they do a great job helping me recover from the crazy crap that I beat my body up with. <laughs> um, so shout out to Brand again at Lake Oswego Massage Therapy. She's a miracle worker, and she has just recently moved to Portland. So if y'all want to um, work with a sports masseuse that will get as deep as you'd ever need her to, I mean, she's strong. She can beat you up. Um, hit me up because she is amazing, and her client list is filling up fast. So if you want to be able to get on her books, um, feel free to reach out to me. You can do that through um, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I have pages for both personal and also my business, Portland Outdoor Athletics there. Also, you know, if you um, are considering personal training, I'd love to have that conversation. Like I said, I do limit how many athletes I work with, but I still do have room for um, to take care of a couple more. So go ahead and hit me up. Visit my website, www.portlandoutdoorathletics.com. 
And finally, I, I guess I'll cast this line out there. Um, I am currently looking for a supplement sponsor. So if you all know of anyone who wants to raise brand awareness in the obstacle course racing community and most specifically in Portland, um, I think that we could talk about possibly helping each other out in a win-win business relationship. So, yeah, I think that's all my shout-out. Perfect. And I will make sure um, I will get all the links to all that stuff from Taylor, and I will put them all on the BeastNet uh, Facebook page. So if anybody's looking for those, I'll make sure they're all on there so you can get to them. And other than that, um, thank you, Taylor. It's been fun, and I'm sure we will have you again. I, I think I might use you for a uh, – I'm going to start doing a Q&A thing uh, like once a month, and I'll probably use you as a, a guest on the Q&A as a, for a trainer. So. Rock on. All right. Well, as you just found out, I can talk. So <laughs> I know. I'll help you whatever time limit you need. I'll put it that way. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much, Taylor. All right. Thanks, Mike. Peace out. Bye right, bye. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast brought to you by Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. You can find us on Facebook or at beastocr.com.